Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome in. We are jumping into a brand new year. Uh, we just finished the whole New Testament in uh, only two years. Oh no, we're still going. So <laughs> you're not going to let that go, are you? Not until we finish. Uh, it's going to be uh, at least three and a half years. That's come on. There you go. That's that, that's the plan. It's a biblical. I'm being yeah. topical. I'm t- or, to today's topic. Or we could do seven years and just make it a sabbatical year. Ex- there, hey, I'm down with a sabbatical. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do a sabbatical. That's good. Idea. Yeah. So uh, next yeah, so, episode, we're from the cruise line. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We could do a, you know, there's ministries that they'll do those cruises and like everyone jumps on. Have you seen those? No, I can't yeah, go you on do, those. Oh, no. yeah, and then you, you like, you get to hang out and have lunch with the the, the keynote speaker. So let, yeah. let's have a determined truth cruise. There you go. And then we'll go and we'll hang out with people. We eat a lot of good food. Yeah. We can give talks every day and stuff. So uh, who, yeah. one of our listeners has got to be like into that kind of stuff. So you guys organize it and we'll do a cruise, right? Yeah. And no, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I, that's not yeah. is that placating to the beast <laughs> yeah it's just I, i'd rather yeah I, I'll, dis, I'll discuss it with you offline <laughs> okay and it's not it's nice. just convictions yeah i hear you okay. uh okay cool what are we uh, doing today we we started in chapter 12 last time yep. and we didn't finish it so we're going to hit this next part of chapter 12 yep. right yes absolutely absolutely so verse right. 13 through 17 uh, yeah, so so we discussed the the dragon. So chapter twelve is going back in narrative time to, to give more details, as, and we're going to see this especially by the time we finish chapter thirteen. That chapters twelve and thirteen are going back in narrative time to discuss the war of chapter eleven, verse seven. There's a beast that comes up out of the abyss and makes war against the two witnesses and overcomes them and kills them. Uh, and so now John's going to give us more details. That war begins by explaining. Well, let me explain to you that there's actually a dragon that stood before the woman. The woman would be the people of God, easiest way to say it, prior to the coming of Jesus, after the coming of Jesus, including to, to the present day. And the dragon has always stood opposed to the woman, tried to devour the child, the moment the, the, child, the woman's child, the moment it was born, and the child is Christ. So there's this war, in other words, John's saying, is one that's been going on since the beginning. And really what is actually happening, and we touched on this a little bit, it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Mm-hmm. That the, the woman, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent will be after, will be in conflict with one another. God says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Uh, it's this conflict. And what John's saying then is the conflict that we're experiencing as God's people is ultimately satanic in origin. And it's one that the devil's been waging against God's people since the beginning. And then we're going to find out how he goes about waging that war. And that'll be in chapter 13 and following. Now, we ended with the last time with in chapter 12 with they overcame him, meaning God's people did, by means of the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their life even when faced with death. And that is one of the most critical passages, passages in the New Testament. The means by which we overcome is by the blood of Christ, by the word of the testimony, by continuing to bear witness for Christ, and by not worrying about our lives even in the point of death. Mm. Okay. In the meantime, the dry, the uh, the woman has been taken into the wilderness, where she was nourished by God for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. We discuss wilderness that means a place of temptation and trials and tribulation, but it's also a place where God's protection and provision. He was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, providing for the Israelites when they got up in the morning with manna every morning. You know, God's presence was amongst them, but it was also a wilderness where they were tempted and tried and tested. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. So now the woman's in the wilderness and we think, oh, good, she's safe because she's brought there by God. And we're like, actually, she's not going to be safe. And that's what we're going to get into today. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, and also you talked about going back into the narrative. You talk about chapters 12 and 13, looking back at chapter 11, mm-hmm. that th- we even looked at saying, you know, if John is having this vision somewhere late 80s, 90s, something like that, it, we oftentimes think that this is something that is future that he's looking at, right. th- that these events, but no, we actually look back to Luke chapter 10 and said, no, th- yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he's looking to things that happen in the Christ event, that whether you exactly. want to put it in his birth, his death, his resurrection, whatever, sometime in there. And so we're, we're even looking back to, to that point. We're going back 60 years in this sense. Yeah, so th- yeah. this yeah. book is not linear. It's jumping around, even though it's a story moving from left to right, it really isn't. 
Well, no, I'd say it is. It really is. Well, the story as is. A but, sto yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. The story is. But that story also includes flashbacks or, yes. or, or, oh, hey, let me kind of give you more in depth on this. You know, here's some historical context on that. Yeah. And, and where we're at now in the story then is, oh, and guess what? Because of the Christ event, as you brought up very well, because of the Christ event, Satan has been kicked out of heaven. Mm -hmm. And woe to the earth and the sea. Re rejoice, O heavens. But woe to the earth and the sea. And that's where we're at today. Yeah. That's a W. So, right, you want to read? Woe. Yeah. W-O-E-O, yeah. -E not W-H-O-A. I guess yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. different kind of woes there. Yeah, uh, right. Cool. Hey, hey, why don't we go back to verse 12, Vinny, even though the section really starts in verse 13. Do 12 verse, chapter 12, verses 12 through 17 or 12 through sure. 18, depending on what translation you have. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to, uh, to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had give birth, given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she may fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to be to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. All right. And you're that last statement. He's standing on the on the uh, sand of the seashore. Mm -hmm. In some translations, that's chapter 13, verse 1. And the Greek oh, text is chapter, is chapter 12, verse 18. My New American Standard and many English Bibles don't have 12, 18. They have 12, 17. And then it's 13, verse 1. So you know, like I, it's interesting. I'm, yeah. I, have, I have a parallel with the New Revised Standard, and that's uh, the, the New Revised Standard uh, creates a verse 18. Then the dragon took a stand on the right. sand of the seashore. And I saw that. And so that kind of connects, uh, segues into chapter 13. Interesting textual note. Yeah, I yeah. didn't notice that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So here we go. We're back to the narrative of the woman and the war. Now we, we found in chapter 12, verse 7, that the war took place in heaven. And now we find out in chapter 12, verse 17, that the war takes place on the earth. He went off to make war with the rest of her children or her, or her offspring. And it defines those offspring as the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And really, this is kind of what apoc apocalyptic literature does. Uh, it describes a war in heaven, and then what happens in heaven actually is what happened, takes place on the earth. Um, and so the dragon now, I noticed your translation says he pursues the woman. Mm -hmm. uh, my translation says the woman, the dragon persecutes the woman in verse 13. It's the same Greek word. It can mean either one. It can mean, and obviously he's pursuing in order to persecute. But it's, it's um, not pursuing in a good kind of way. Right. No, it's bad. Yeah. yeah in order yeah. to persecute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's right. So, and of course, this reminds us of the Exodus again. And we have a lot of Exodus imagery in here, right? Where Pharaoh, you know, the Israelites escape Egypt and they go off into the wilderness. And well, guess what? As they start leaving Egypt, the Pharaoh goes, yeah, maybe I don't want them to leave and chases after them. And Pharaoh pursues them. Of course, Pharaoh is the great dragon, the ancient serpent in Ezekiel chapter 29, verse three. So what's happening here then is, as we said all along, is that John's giving us this apocalyptic insight as to what's really happening, you know, kind of the, the behind the scenes, so to speak, thing. And that is, although Pharaoh and the kings of Assyria and Babylon and Rome are the one who oppressed God's people, now we're told actually it's the dragon. It's the dragon who pursues the woman. Hmm. Okay. I know that uh, some people say that the woman's escape into the wilderness, it was... Uh, you know, it's by means of the the two wings of the great eagle. We read that in verse 14. Yeah. And so this is oftentimes referred to, especially from a popular standpoint, this is talking about the U.S., you know, America's support of Israel, especially you get these right. eagle type of languages, kind of yeah. our national bald eagle type imagery. Um, but, you know, like you said, this is this sounds like Exodus imagery. It is. When when should we be cautious about reading anything America related? I, I have this conversation with people at my yeah. church. Somewhat regularly, hey, is America in the Bible? And this would be one of those times yeah. where they would point to that. Is, that, right, is so, that. is that hitting close to the mark at all? I'm kind of lobbing. This is D-League adult softball right here that I'm lobbing. Yeah, for no. <laughs> uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, that same language is used in the book of Isaiah as well, about God rescuing the Israelites from Egypt by the means of a, as an eagle carries forth 
that and brings and brings them to safety. So this is clear Exodus imagery, and and the allusion in Exodus to God being the eagle. In fact, if God's the eagle, then it almost becomes blasphemous, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I understand, and I'm, I'm not saying that a person doing this is guilty of blasphemy, no. but. Ultimately, it's kind of blasphemous to say, oh, the United States is the one protecting Israel. It's like, actually, no, which is a dangerous narrative that we'll get to uh, on another occasion. No, actually, this is a reference to God, who is the one bringing Israel out or the people of God out by means of, of the wings of eagle. But notice he brought, him, uh, brought the woman out to the wilderness away from the presence of the serpent. Oh, good news. But guess what happens? The very next verse says the serpent poured water out of its mouth like a river after the woman. He might cause it to be swept away with the flood, but the earth helped the woman. So we're in the wilderness, protected by God. In fact, we're nourished for a time, times, and half a time in verse 14 from the presence of the serpent. Yet at the same time, we're not out of the serpent's reach. He can spew water out of its mouth like a flood. Now, the next key is, and that's this, and we discussed this a little bit last week, and we'll discuss this a, a lot for the next several weeks. The way the devil wages war against God's people. We think, oh, it's persecution, it's imprisonment, it's suffering. You know, he persecuted the woman, you know, the pursues or persecute language. And that means he, he, he has them beheaded, he has them crucified, he has Christians in death row, you know, his Christian, they're in prison, all these evil physical things. But yet it says the way he attacked the woman was he poured water out of its mouth like a river, like a flood. And the mouth, We'll see this in chapter 16 also. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet have, have demonic spirits like frogs coming out of their mouth. The mouth is a source of your words. The dragon's weaponry is lying, deception, mm -hmm. false propaganda, false teaching. And this will be a very significant when we get to the beast in the, ne in the next chapter because we think the beast is some political, ideological figure out there that's going to do all these bad things. It's going to attack the nation. You know, we think of the of the beast in that sense, but John's alerting the church and the people of God, don't be deceived. And it's deception that's that's the ultimate thing that the dragon that the dragon is using. So I think we need to be be aware of that. Uh, just to clarify on that, because we oftentimes we come into a Bible passage and it speaks clearly in this context. The, the the latter of what you said is true, like yeah. the way the beast is deceiving. So we oftentimes think that everything's a, a it's this binary. It's either this or that. So obviously yeah. this is the only way it happens. No, we wouldn't deny right. that there's ways in which the beast also deceives in that or, or attacks. And that is by attacking people. And we would see the, uh, you know, Christian Christians in Nigeria being beheaded or pastors yeah. in China being uh, right. falsely or unjustly pulled out of the congregations in prison. Like that's also something oh, there's yeah, probably yeah, other yeah, passages yeah. we could talk yeah. about that. But the, what your point is that in this passage, this is what it's referring to. This is, uh, this is what the beast yeah, is Yeah, that's actually a really good clarification. Thank you. I, sometimes you say something and you don't think about the implications of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the dragon uses deception. The people of God are in verse 11, right? They, were, they overcame him because of the word of their testimony. So they're proclaiming the truth. The dragon's pro proclaiming deception. After all, he's the ancient deceit, the one who deceives the whole world, verse 9. So verse 9, the dragon deceives the whole world. Verse 11, the people of God proclaim him and overcome the dragon by the word of their testimony. The result of that is persecution, mm -hmm. imprisonment, mm -hmm. beheading, death, loss to silence you. And you know we have to decide whether or not the Christians in China, do they, they can't meet publicly. They can't meet open. They're still proclaiming the word, but yeah. they're having to work around the laws. Yep. And the laws are meant to imprison them and persecute them and financially caused them distress. So they're all not that trying happens. to become persecuted. They're not saying like, Hey, let's go out today and try to ping ourselves. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, I'm sorry if I missed. I, I no, no, you didn't say that. Oh, I, okay. I think just okay. my, my, and my yeah. point is just clarifying. Cause we oftentimes read something and say, well, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, this is the only thing that we could read it as. And there's nuance there. There's yeah, times okay, where just yeah. biblical writers yeah. are speaking in a way where I'm just, it's kind of like looking at a diamond. You could look at it. It's like, okay, I'm going to look at this aspect of the yeah, diamond. Yeah. I'm going to turn the diamond. I'm going to look at it through a different aspect. I'm going to see something different at this point. Right, right. And, and what I just want to make sure that I'm highlighting. Yeah. Yes, those other things exist. Yes. But for what John is doing here is he's focusing on this other aspect about deceit. Uh, it, it, but let's the not root of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The and the reason why I think this is so important is because we think, the dragons out there. We think the beast is out yes. there. We think that the false prophet, they're out there. They're in the world. It's some kind of revived Roman empire. It'd be so easy to spot. It's a dragon. Like, you know, mm -hmm. just look for the dragon. And, uh, 
And the reality is John's like, no, it's in here. Mm -hmm. And so when you try to bring up in the church and say, hey, guys, I think we've been deceived by this. I think we've been a lot of, oh, no, no, no. The world's been deceived. You're going to have to get us mark on your forehead or on your right mm -hmm. hand. We don't mm -hmm. have that mark. And the reality is that's, that's dangerous because we're thinking that, oh, what the dragon's doing is not relevant to me. It's relevant yes. to the world. And the reality is, no, it's relevant to us. Well, think um, about it. We're, we're, I'm assuming we're not going to use at all in this study the word antichrist, even though from a popular mm -hmm. standpoint, we would talk about the antichrist, especially in, in a Revelation 13. I'm just going to have we're to not, edit that out because you just used well, it. Well, exactly. But we're yeah. not going to use that because the word is not found in this right. book at all. In right. fact, the only chapter of Revelation we find the word antichrist is the chapter of 1 John and 2 John, right? <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, when you said the word revelation, I'm like, it's, no, it's not. A, uh, you mean a revelation of the Bible? Yeah. Well, it's in yeah, first exactly. and second John. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, but even there, how does John in that aspect, exactly. in that book, he warns not as some political leader. He's like, no, the antichrist, they're actually among you. There's many of them. They're already here. That's so right. watch out for them. Yeah. He the says people within the people of God. Yeah. And first John says they went out from us, but they were yes. not really of us. Mm -hmm. So the Antichrist was in the church. That, yeah. That's exactly the point. And the same thing with even the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians mm -hmm. chapter 2. Yep. He will enter the temple of God. Well, the temple of God, that phrase in the New Testament, I would argue it's used 14 times and 12 times it's clear. The 12 clear times, it always refers to either the body of Jesus or the body of God's people. You are the temple of God, Paul says. Jesus says, destroy the temple of God and, and referring to his body. So there's two exceptions that are unclear. One's, he, one's Revelation chapter 11, which I would argue is the people of God also. And the other one is the second Thessalonians passage. And the answer is the temple of God is the church. The man of lawlessness enters the church trying to bring deception to it. So as soon as we think it's out there, and that's the point I was trying to make, and, and you brought a, a very good clarification. The point I was trying to make is as soon as we think it's out there, then we put our guard down and the reality is no, the devil is going to bring deception into the church. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have to be careful about it. Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. One of the things, I, and I'm going back to my yeah. uh, pop culture roots in terms of how to understand the end times and revelation time frames are is completely significant okay. time frames are what define the end times uh we know that there's going to be 42 months there's going to be three and a half years all, all this stuff they come from a handful of passages in the bible it comes from the book of daniel but we're we're starting to stumble across these so so far we've seen 42 mm -hmm. months 1260 days we just read a time times and half a time that's right yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and these all refer to three and a half years in, in a Jewish calendar, not in our modern Greco-Roman right. calendar. Is this referring to the same time period? Yeah. Like, how should we, I mean, we've already talked about numbers. They're always going to be significant in apocalyptic literature. So I'm assuming we should interpret these, uh, you know, symbolically. But if we're reading Daniel, I mean, Daniel's apocalyptic as well in, the, in, yeah, in this, in right, that right. letter part of the, his uh, book as well. So we should say, okay, this is clearly an apocalyptic symbolic thing that we're looking at, but what do we do with this? Okay. So let's, let's frame that convert, that question in light of the, the large kind of the summary of chapter 12, there's a dragon out there. He's the source of, of the war against God's people. We're going to find out in chapter 13, he's going to empower two beasts to actually do the waging of his war. He's waging his war against the people of God. That's the woman, the woman before the birth of Jesus, which we would say Israel, if you want to say it that way, or the Old Testament people of God. He waged war against the Christ child, but he was snatched up into, into heaven. And then the, the dragon was kicked out of heaven. I'm just kind of going through chapter 12 here really quickly. Sure. He, he was kicked out of heaven and woe to the earth, you know, rejoice, O heavens, but woe to the earth and the sea, because he's come down to you. And then what does he do? He pursues the woman. And specifically, we're told that the woman is, uh, and the, I'm sorry, and the woman and the rest of her offspring, verse 17, it says, the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, which means the dragons waging war against us. Mm -hmm. So the context of Revelation 12 is 
the war that you guys are experiencing to John's readers is the war that the dragon has waged against God's people throughout history. And we would then say to us in the modern world, the war that the dragon waged against God's people historically is the war that he's continuing to wage. Now, the time frame for this war is in the book of Revelation is this, what we call, we'll say it's three and a half years. The, the phrase first occurs in Daniel in, in the book of Daniel chapter seven, uh, verse 25, and then in, in Daniel chapter 12, verse seven. And it's a time times and half a time. Now, notice a time, times, and half a time is actually undefined. We know it's three and a half years at the end of the day, but the word times, the second occurrence, is, is plural. So there's a time, that's one. There's a times, that's two or more. And then there's a half a time. Now, if the times is where first, the second one is two, then it's a total of three and a half. But it just simply says half a time. It doesn't say three and a half years or three and a mm -hmm. half days. But what we realize then, actually, is that John is using this time frame because he quotes it in chapter 12, verse 14. A time, times, and half a time. So he's now, hey, I'm, I'm getting my time frame from the book of Daniel. Now, here's the, thing, here's the thing to keep in mind. The book of Daniel is really significant, and we're going to see this the rest of today, and then in our, in our next couple episodes as we get into chapter 13. And we mentioned this already, that John was told to eat the scroll and the prophesy, but the scroll was, was sealed up, and then in the book of Revelation, then it's unsealed. And I think that the scroll that John's eating is the scroll of, of Daniel that was sealed up until the end of time. And John's now eating it and revealing the contents of it. So in a large way, we could say that the book of Revelation is revealing to us what the book of Daniel was all about. Now, we're going to get to Ezekiel's significance, and we'll come, come back to that you know, in future episodes, keeping that in mind. But John takes this Daniel time frame, and then he takes it and uses it in three different ways. So one, the time frame of, of a time, times, and half a time, which only occurs once in 12 verse 14. But then he uses the phrase 42 months, chapter 11, verse 2. In chapter 11, verse 3, he says 1,260 days, which is, a, I think, a pretty good indication that 42 months and 1,260 days. And by the way, if you're listening to the podcast, it might be good to kind of have a Bible out and kind of look at them. Just and just clarify, you're, you're talking about John uh, Revelation 11, not Daniel yes. 11, because we, we were going yeah, back and forth. Just thank to clarify, yeah. Revelation, uh, 11. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Revelation 11, verse 2. 42 months, Revelation 11, verse 3, 1,260 days. Now, 1,260 days is 42 months of 30 days in a month. And in the Jewish calendar in the ancient world, each month had 30 days. And what they did is every six years, they would add one extra month. There'd be a 13th month. And that, that's because every year is you know, 365 days in a year in a solar calendar. A lunar calendar has 360 days. So you lose five days a year. At the end of six years, you've lost 30 days. So every six years, you add, you add an extra month. So that's That'd be a 43 months then. Mm -hmm. So three and a half months, three and a half years would be 1,260 days, 42 times 30, 42 months at 30, 30 days per, per month. And then 42 months is also three and a half years. Then in 1214, as I just mentioned, it's just time, times, and half the time. Now, each of these descriptions, I think, are used interchangeably. So you have 42 months used twice in 11.2 and in 13.5. But as I started to say that, I think the fact that 11.2 said 42 months and 11.3 said 1,260 days, they're interchangeably. Two different, two verses back to back, both referring mm -hmm. to 42 months in different ways of saying it. The time frames are, are, are interchangeable. Now, in the Jewish literature, 1,260 days or three and a half years or Daniel's time, times and half a time was simply a, a Jewish way of referring to a time of trial or tribulation for the people of God. And though it's three and a half, three and a half is a common time frame for which God's people suffer. Three and a half years is the general idea. And that's that, and I won't get into the, the details right now, but there's other literature Maccabees refers to three and a half years and th things of that nature also. So three and a half is the period of time during which God's people suffer. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. So that's the, the short answer then <laughs> is is what yeah. is three and a half times a year. So it's it's yeah. not a specific formula to figure out. It's not something that we're trying to figure out. Okay, when does this? When does the countdown calendar begin? You don't need to set anything on your app, you know, on your phone or anything. It, right. it's, it's just saying no. This is just a period of time in which God's people suffer. It's undefined, yeah. but it's not forever. It's not you know a thousand years. Yeah, it's, it's that, just, yeah that, that's right. And and it could refer to three and a half years. I we'll get into it a little bit more as, as we proceed in terms of, of like flushing this out. I think. Three and a half years in the book of Revelations referring to th these three and a half years refers to the time from Jesus' ascension until the time of his second coming, which as of right now, it's 1900 and some odd years. 
And, and but it's a time is, when God's people are also are in the wilderness too. So we're in the wilderness. Sure. Yeah. So here's something that in like growing up just in the tradition where yeah. obviously taking the Bible very seriously, it's God's word, which you, you and I would obviously both affirm the seriousness that we need to take the Bible. But this is what I would say. Hey, if God wanted to say, because I'm just responding to the voices yeah, yeah. that I, right, I just right. set and fuse with um, well-meaning people, good questions to ask. Yes, yes. If God wanted to say it would just be, this is just when the people of God suffered for a little bit of time, but it's going to be for a couple of thousand years. Why wouldn't he just say that? Like, yeah. why, why would he say this? Why don't we just take God out of his word when he says it's three and a half years? Why don't we just take it literal? Because God wasn't speaking to you. He was speaking to them. <laughs> and in their world, that's just, uh, and in sure, their yeah. world, three and a half is what that is. That's what it meant. And mm. I was, we think, oh, literal, that that's just our world. And I was, he did say it literally to them, but that's not what we think of as literal. And again, we're using the word literal in, in, in a different way. They understood three and a half was just a generic time frame during which God's people suffer. It's not infinite. It's un, it's not unlimited. It does have a beginning that does have an end. And that's the hope. And that's why you'll see how much longer, how long, oh Lord, well, just a little while. Remember chapter six? Well, what do you mean a little while? It's been 2000, almost 2000 years since that, since that was first spoken, like exactly a little while. And so in their world, that's how they understood a little while would be three and a half years. So it was. Well, when you're saying their world, are you meaning yeah. like in a second temple period? Yes. Are you thinking Daniel's time that, or that, that entire, uh, well, I guess Daniel would be pre second, second temple, temple. Yeah. But yeah. 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 yeah, we'll yeah. Call it that, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and second temple for those of you that don't understand that language. All right. So the first temple was Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. The second temple was rebuilt in 516. That temple lasts through the time of Jesus and it's destroyed in AD 70. It's that temple, the second one, that Herod had elaborately adorned and made massively bigger. So it took us 46 years to build this temple. Actually, the temple already existed. Mm -hmm. It took us 46 years to elaborately adorn it. And they actually continued the construction for another, what, what 30 more years mm -hmm. before it was destroyed a few years after it was finished, which is kind of funny. Sorry to chuckle there. That's what we call the second temple period, the end of the Old Testament era in the beginning and in through the beginning of the New Testament era up until the, the year AD 70. All right. So we spent a lot of time, not just talking about the symbolic nature of numbers, but um, the significance of them as well, because those are two different things. Something can be symbolic, but why is that significant? So three and a half years, this is obviously half of seven. We've, yeah. we've established that seven and 12 are probably the most important numbers in the book of Revelation. So yep. is there a significance here? Yeah, it, it is. And I think we just kind of st stated it there. And that is, it indicates that the time of suffering or what we might say tribulation, remember the word tribulation in the New Testament refers to the what the people of God are presently undergoing. Mm -hmm. it, is, it ensures or assures that it will not last forever. It's limited. It's not, it's not in, indefinite. Mm -hmm. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. And like, once again, I'm just, I'm just thinking back to the dispensational yep. culture yep. that I grew up in. Yep. And so we know that there's going to be a seven year tribulation from, from a popular standpoint, for the most part, yeah. so maybe you're a mid tribber uh, and it's only three and a half, but for the most 90% of us, we grew up, there's a, where we, most of us believe in a pre-trib rapture. That's going to last seven years long, but it's interesting. Revelation doesn't have a seven year period. Revelation only has a three and a half year period. So is this right. once again, going back to Daniel? Exactly. This is coming from the book of Daniel. So the first thing to understand the idea of a seven year tribulation, which is popular end times understanding other things from the dispensational world is not found anywhere in the new Testament. There's no seven years anywhere in the new Testament. There's only three and a half years in the book of revelation. So it comes from Daniel chapter seven, I'm sorry, Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, nine mm -hmm. verses 24 through 27. Okay. Uh, let's look at that then. Cause obviously I know Daniel's huge yeah. for, uh, for, for John, he uses, uh, I mean, he, he uses so much old Testament to begin with, but right. he's gotta be pulling Daniel's such a small book. We already know that he's pulled from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, yeah. which are huge books. Does, does he pull from Daniel more though, in terms of like content or at least percentage of content percentage of, yeah. So Isaiah is the most Allude, I don't know. Remember, Revelation doesn't quote the Old quote, Testament it alludes, at all. Yeah. Maybe one time it does in chapter mm -hmm. fifteen, but well, it alludes it, 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 chapter to four Old as well. Holy, holy, holy! 
to Lord God Almighty. That's uh, Isaiah. Yeah, well, and then you have Psalm two that's, that's cited there, but sure. But Isaiah is the one that's that's cited or alluded the most often. But Isaiah is sixty six chapters. In mm-hmm. terms of percentage of the book, Daniel is the most cited or alluded to. Because you only have 12 chapters. Because there's only 12 chapters and it's much smaller. I think Ezekiel is equally critical to Daniel. Okay. We we won't see Ezekiel until, why it's so critical until the last five chapters or so of the book, you know, maybe from 17 through 22, last six chapters. We already noted, remember John eats the scroll like Ezekiel Mm -hmm. eats the scroll. So, you know, we see it in there. Chapter four of the book of Revelation, God sitting on a throne with wheels ablaze and surrounded by all these angelic beings. That's Ezekiel chapter one. So we'll see that the kind of the outline of the book of Ezekiel is actually being followed by John. But as far as like the substance of the scroll and that part of it and the time frame and and the suffering of God's people and the the victory of God's people over the four beasts, that's all Daniel chapter seven and Daniel chapter nine. So and and would we also get a lot of Ezekiel? uh, And this is where I'm ignorant. So I'm excited to learn. Obviously, the end of Ezekiel 40 through 40, it's this huge temple uh, scene. I'm assuming we're going to run into that once we get to Revelation 20 through 22. It's it's chapter 37 through 48, almost Mm -hmm. the the end of the book of Revelation. Almost Gog and Magog and everything else there. Oh, and your dog, dog and Magog. Come on, I just made a joke. Dog and Magog. I I, I heard it. (laughs) I just wasn't paying attention because it wasn't funny. So um, I would allow. It was a good dad joke. What are you talking about? No, no. There's no such thing as a good dad joke. Well, I oh, guess there are, some, there are some good dad jokes. They just I are. made a dad joke yesterday at church to two fellow dads, and they didn't even appreciate it. I said, hey, did you guys hear about the fire at the circus? It was intense. <laughs> Come on. That's funny. Uh, the problem was they didn't understand it, so you had to explain it. That's, uh, it the yeah. best jokes are the ones you have to explain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> So Daniel nine, we're here and this, these last few verses, 24 through 27, this is like, there's no key to dispensationalism, but if this doesn't work, I mean, this this is is the key to the dispensationalism. This is, is. I mean, this is the, the, the starter on your car, like in terms of it's a little part of the engine, but if this doesn't work, the car is not turning over there. There is. Yeah. So let's, let's clarify what is dispensationalism, right? So dispensational, and we've, we've used the word before, is basically, mm-hmm. and, and it takes a lot of different forms, Sure, but it essentially asserts that there's a literalism to the biblical text, that the Bible works in dispensations or in eras. You know, it, it's sophisticated, but mm-hmm. basically right now, that you know, there was the, we'll just say, the, I'm going to keep it simple, the Old Testament era and the New Testament era, and then sure. there'll be a future era. Yep. I'm just, uh, it's, it's more complex than that. And I think, you know, so the ultimate era and the new Testament era are, are distinct from one another. And what God planned on doing through the nation of Israel, he stopped and is now doing things to the church. Mm-hmm. And then in the future era, usually the millennial era, he's going to restore that Israel. That's why the idea of Israel being such a big thing in the modern world is, is so important to dispensationalism. He's going to come back and fulfill the promises he made to Israel restore them as a people, restore them as a nation, restore them as a land, rebuild a temple and do all those things. Now, as that begins to happen, the church gets raptured up and there'll be seven And that would be years. that seven year. Okay. Yeah. yeah there'll, be, seven there'll, there'll be seven years that generally speaking, most dispensationalists will say the church is raptured up and there's a seven year tribulation period, mm-hmm. three and a half years of peace. And we're going to see this in Daniel. We're going to see where they get this from in Daniel nine. It's not what Daniel nine is saying, in my opinion. But there'll be three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of utter devastation. That the last three and a half years is where the book of Revelation comes in. There'll be famines and pestilence and wars and antichrist and all that, you know, all the plagues and boil. They think that happens in the last three and a half years. And then Jesus returns and establishes a thousand year reign on, on the earth. We'll talk about the millennium later. All right. So dispensationalism, the idea, just see if I can summarize that is the Bible's literal. It's been understood literally. It, it prophesies the future restoration of the Jewish people. Uh, the church is raptured out of the way. And then there'll be a seven-year period of tribulation, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of, of, of uh, bloodshed and war and famine, and the, the seals, trumpets, and bowls, God's wrath happening uh, during that. So the reading of Revelation is happening during that time mm-hmm. uh, um, there. And they cannot get that from anywhere in the New Testament. You don't get that. The idea of a seven-year span of time is only from Daniel chapters 9, Chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. Yeah. And and I would say popularly, if you grew up, if let's say I'm 45, if, I mean, if you're 40 and older, let's say you probably grew up in an environment where this was the predominant way of understanding the Bible, yeah. understanding 
uh, the future. Uh, I mean, this has been the most popular. Yeah. In a non-mainline church. Now, mainline Correct. churches might be exceptions, but yeah, evangelical, certain Baptist denominations, things like that. Absolutely. And certainly in my world. And I remember yeah. when I was a youth, going to the youth uh, uh, leader's house and we were uh, there and they had a book, uh, the book of charts. Have you ever seen, you ever seen that book? No. Oh, oh, oh yeah. You missed the book of charts. So the, the, the book has all these pictures of images of Daniel's, the, the uh, statue in the book of Daniel. Okay. And, yep. and the different parts of the statue and all yeah, the Bible yeah. verses the in the two. middle of the statue. Sure. And th then it refers to, you know, and then there's these lines on like a historical uh, line there that, that refers to this part and this part and this part. And I remember looking at going, Okay, I really want to know what all this means, and that's one of my first early recollections. Recollections that rec, recollections, recollections. Yeah, that, yeah that word. One of my first times where I realized I have a passion to study the word. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't think about it. But looking back, I'm like, mm -hmm. that I really wanted to know what the word uh, was about. But I remember also looking at that, going, "This is too complicated. Mm. This is too complex. It doesn't make any sense." But it also had the ch uh, had charts on like the seals, trumpets, and bowls. Like yep. the seventh yep. seal as the second coming. So that had a line going to the future. Like, wait a minute, this is, uh, this is too complex, but yeah. So that we had the book of charts I have to get you one of those for Christmas. Uh, you know, you should have last remember that that was like a week ago, Rob. Yeah. So by the way, you didn't say happy new year. How, did you guys, did you guys have a good new year? Man, you know, what'd you, what'd it, you do? It feels like we're still in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> should we, should we tell them? No, it will ruin the magic of radio, Rob. Oh, yeah okay and it's still right. december it hasn't even been christmas yet no yeah, don't tell yeah, them we're, we're recording this ahead of time <laughs> exactly so my, i couldn't believe what happened on new year's I'm like, it was unbelievable right so there's i've still never a seen anything like that before there's still a chance the raiders could make the playoffs when we know that <laughs> no that, yeah, that yeah that that's in another world Vinny. yeah that's so, a different beast that's, that's a different parallel universe yeah <laughs> Very good. The, so the Marvel universes. Yeah, right. So dispensationalism is definitely something that all of us have been yeah. influenced by, whether we know it or not. And I would even say even folks who yeah. aren't part of a dispensationalist church. Yes. I, I have friends who were in the Lutheran church, which you yep. mentioned mainline churches are not dispensational. It just how many friends continue to post stuff about like on social media where it's like, this is just, this is dispensational theology. This literally goes against what your denomination would believe, but we all just kind of assume these things yeah. uh, to be true. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and I would just say the first time I heard a different view of this, it jacked me up because I'm like, I, I just, it, we weren't even taught that there's multiple views. It's like, no, this is the way you think about this. Right. Uh, and so it seems even now when we're engaging with this, it's like, the fact that you have a different view of Daniel nine, what <laughs> this is the only well, way to think about it. Yeah. One of the, one of the ways that you, th that was reinforced for me was, well, because the Bible's literal and this is what sure. the literal interpretation of the text says. Yeah. Therefore, anything that differs with this interpretation of the text is the liberal. Mm -hmm, you're being mm -hmm. loose with the Bible. You don't take it seriously. If, yeah. Mm -hmm. If that's not literal, then what is literal? And, yep. and maybe how do you know that that verse isn't literal? Who yep. says what's literal, what's not literal? And yep. the answer is, the text says, the text decides, as we discussed in our section on, on our podcast on, on literalism, yes. that the Bible never says it's supposed to be read literally. So no. you're actually imposing an, an interpretive rule on the biblical text. So the answer is, what does the text say and what does it mean mm -hmm. and how would it have been understood? That's, that's the way to approach the text. Yeah. Well, and even there, like I know how you've taught me over the years and just how we learn is we read the text, not just looking at like in this case, we wouldn't merely say, let's read Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We, we need to understand the whole context of yeah, Daniel yeah. and what's happening uh, surrounding it. Part of this is going to include genre um, and what's trying to be communicated as well, right? Yep, ab absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's look at Daniel chapter nine really quickly here. So we'll kind of do a little extra bonus section of this particular podcast, looking at this particular topic of three and a half and seven uh, in the book of Daniel. So very simple. So the book of Daniel is about God being in control. Same thing in the book of Revelation. God's not forgotten his people. Remember, Daniel's, Daniel is one of the exiles. He was sent out of Babylon, out of um, Jerusalem into Babylon and him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three buddies, Rakshak and Benny, as they are popularly known. With um, the bunnies. <laughs> we're not going to go there, Benny. <laughs> uh, we don't have enough time. But um, <laughs> they're off in exile. So they're, they're in Babylon, in exile, serving under the king of Babylon. And God's reminding them of, he, even though they've been conquered, God's still in control. He has not forgotten his people. He will restore, restore his people. Mm. So Daniel chapter nine is this great prayer. Uh, one of the things that I, just as a, yeah. a, a way to remember is Daniel nine, 
Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9. Mm. These are all dealing with these prayers, all oh. those chapters, uh, which like it, whether it's Ezra or Nehemiah or Daniel trying to repent on behalf of the people. Yeah. I, I, it's just a way to remember those as repentance chapters. Never thought of that. Um, yeah. Okay. And so this is just one of those times where this happens, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. What happened with Daniel 8? Oh, shoot. Uh, no. What so happened when Daniel 8? When, oh gosh. He was full. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a stupid dad joke. <laughs> I, I just came up with that one too. So, yeah, when Daniel, it's a Daniel ate, one joke. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so why was six afraid of nine? Uh, afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I was going to say this is bad as the math joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Daniel 9, again, again, you have to be careful about taking a passage out of its context. So Daniel 9 is a prayer of repentance for the restoration of God's people, a, a, a lament, a prayer of forgiveness, saying, God, uh, we have sinned, but you are, but you are great. Dan and then the end of Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, or even before that, uh, is going to be the answer to Daniel's prayer. So let's kind of mm -hmm. put that in a little bit of a context, and then we'll work our way through this. So we know that the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, it's critical for the Old Testament prophets who are yep. covenant enforcers, Torah enforcers. Uh, how does the, how does this play a role with Daniel? Yeah, so uh, Deuteronomy is central to the Old Testament story. But in this instance, in Daniel chapter 9, we're actually more concerned with the book of Leviticus. Mm. So both Deuteronomy and Leviticus both warn the people of Israel, both, both books, that if they don't obey the covenant, the, the covenant is... God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, this is the law for the people. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You'll do these things. I'll bless you. If those who, who curse you, I'll curse them. But you have to be faithful to the law. And if you mm -hmm. follow these rules, it'll be great. If you don't follow, if you don't listen to what I said to you, then I'm going to eventually have to kick you out of the land. In fact, the book of Levit Leviticus says, I'm going to vomit you out of the land. Now, what's significant is, is that they were actually kicked out of the land in the year 605 B.C. So in 605 BC, the Babylonians come in and conquer the land, take Daniel and his buddies, and even Ezekiel, by the way. Ezekiel becomes a captive also, and others become captive. Now, Leviticus 26 says in verse 15, Leviticus 26, verses 15 through 17, it says, If instead, if you reject my statutes, if your soul abhors my ordinances so as to not carry out all my commandments, and so break my covenant, I in turn will do, do this to you. Then skip into verse 17. I will set my face against you so that you'll be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you will rule, will rule over you. Ah, hmm. that's what happens in the year 605 BC. Well, and so this is where, when we're looking at the context of a passage, which I mentioned earlier, it's not saying, okay, we're reading chapter nine verses 24 through 27. Let's just look at all of chapter nine. It, yeah. It's not just looking at the, the text itself, but why is Daniel in this situation? So we need to read Daniel chapter nine in light of the fact that they are in captivity. They're in exile, but they know that the biblical story says, I mean, this is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I have a plan for you. I hope yeah, yeah. hopes to prosper you, not, not to have a good college graduation Christian kid living in Orange County, but no, I, I'm going to prosper you, my people through the line of Judah, because that's the means by which I am sending my Messiah yeah. to uh, restore the whole world. Like that, that's the context of all this stuff. And this is where, and this goes back to Leviticus. So this is the context of Daniel yeah. nine. That, that's right. That's right. So Daniel nine is a prayer for restoration uh, for God's people and the vindication of Jerusalem. And it begins, let's go ahead and just look at this kind of quickly. Daniel chapter nine uh, verses one and two. Mm -hmm. uh, in the first year of Darius, the son of Asuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet mm -hmm. for the completion of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Mm -hmm. So Daniel's going, wait a minute. Now notice, by the way, in verses 1 and 2, it says, in the first year of Darius, and then in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, that repetition sort of immediately mm -hmm. caused you to go, uh-oh, something's going on. Why would he repeat in the first year when he just said the so in the previous verse? Because Daniel wants you to know what year it is. And he refers to the fact that in the book of Jeremiah, it said that we will not only be sent out of the land, but Jeremiah says we're going to be sent out of the land for 70 years. Mm -hmm. So Daniel's like, uh, I'm doing the math. And it's the first year of Darius. And that means, oh, we're coming up to the end of the seven years pretty quickly. Jeremiah 25 verses 11 yep. through 12 says, 
the whole land will be in desolation and a horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when the 70 years are completed, I'll punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord. Ah, so Daniel's going, well, if I'm doing the math and Leviticus said, we're going to be sent out of the land. And then Jeremiah says, we're going to be sent out of the land for 70 years. We've been in exile. It's almost 70 years. The first year of Darius is the year 539 BC. So if they were sent into exile in 605, we're getting really close. We're within the next couple of years. It, it's going to be, it's going to be over. So, um, uh Oh, here we go. Let's, let me see if I can explain that. The, the question is like, well, what's the problem? The problem is that the prophets also, this is Deuteronomy and Leviticus also, they both say, well, you won't get restored unless you repent. Mm -hmm. So Daniel's looking at it going, well, Jeremiah said it would be 70 years long. And we're almost at the end of 70 years, but I don't think the people have repented. So Daniel 9 is Daniel's attempt to pray and repent for the sake of the nation. Just to interject there, a couple things to look at. It's not merely waiting out the clock on a sentence the way that a, a convict, you know, you're going to jail for 10 years. I know that when 10 years are up, I get released. Regardless of if I am repentant for the crime I did, I just got to serve my 10 years. That's not what's happening in from a covenantal standpoint. Right. You're in trouble for 70 years, but it's also there's a repentance aspect yeah. of things. You're not just in timeout until your time's up and then you're going to come back. And That's you right. would even see this look at the Jonah story. And that was even the covenantal people of God. Jonah is going and telling them, hey, uh, how many is it two days until God uh, 40, 40 days, 40, 40 days until God um, destroys, destroys this place. Yeah. He didn't even tell them to repent and they do. And God yeah. doesn't do it. So right. it's it's one of those things. Okay, there was a timeline, but like that's where it's just different. I think as as American Western readers, we read those kind of texts and we get messed up because we go by a deliberate timeline and, and right. the terms and conditions of something. The biblical world's always not always working in that kind of mindset, right? Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So here, walking walking through Daniel nine uh, kind of quickly here, it's in verses five and six, Daniel's like, "Hey, we've sinned." Mm -hmm. uh, in verses 7, 14, and 16, Daniel's like, uh, and you're righteous, verses 7. Righteousness belongs to you, verse 14. The Lord our God is righteous, verse 16. Oh, Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts. So he said in the context, we've sinned. We acted wickedly. We committed iniquity. We, we, we rebelled, but you're righteous. Mm -hmm. uh, and then verse uh, 11. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. He's repenting for the sake of the nation. Then verses 15 through 19 is his plea for God to not like take action. So th that's the context of the, of the, of what's happening in the book and Daniel chapter nine, he's repenting for the sake of the nation saying we've sinned and you're righteous. So now here's my repentance. Please take action. And this is the only time in the book of Daniel when Yahweh is used the word Yahweh. Normally it's only oh. God, right? So it's, I, I believe that this is the only Yahweh use in Daniel, which is this covenantal section. I haven't thought about that. You're probably right. I mean, obviously chapters two through seven are in Aramaic anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I haven't, so you're probably right. Yeah, I, I think I this is the only time I, yeah. Yahweh is used. Yeah, the, the rest of the time it's just God. So, okay. okay. Right, very good. Uh, I'm, which just strengthens the covenantal language yeah. of what he's right. trying to do here. Let me just make sure everyone's clear. When, when Vinny's talking about covenantal language, he's talking about what God said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Mm -hmm. You obey these laws. I'll bless you. You don't obey the laws. I'm going to kick you out of the country, out of the land, because you're, you're blaspheming my name. Mm -hmm. You're making a mockery of who I am. And so I'll, for the sake of my name, I have to send you out, but I'm going to bring you back and restore you because I'm faithful. However, you must repent before you come back. And so Jane is like, uh, we're at the end of the time. I better repent so that, th that God can bring us back. And so now we get into verse 20. You want to read verses 20 through 23 of Dan Daniel chapter nine? Yeah, this sure. Is, this is the answer to the prayer. Kind of. <laughs> right. It's not the answer you wanted. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At 20 to 23, when I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the uh, Yahweh, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at, uh, at first, came to me in the swift flight at the time of the evening uh, sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. 
at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell, uh, tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision, which is, this is what we're going to come up against is the vision, right? That's right. So here's going to be the answer to your prayer. Leviticus 26 says, verse 18, if after these things, you do not obey me. So I'm going to kick you out of the land, mm-hmm. but Leviticus 26, 18, if after you, these things, you do not obey me, then I'm going to punish you seven times more for your sins. Mm. The same thing in verse 21 of Leviticus 26, I'll increase the plague on you seven times. Verse 24, I'll strike you seven times for your sins. Verse 28, verse 28, same chapter. I even, I will punish you seven more times. So now Daniel's concerned, right? Because he's like, well, we're almost at the end of the 70 years. And so he makes this prayer like, okay, Lord, this is surely going to work for my sins and for the sins of my people. And then the answer becomes this, verse 24, of Dan- Daniel chapter nine now. 70 weeks, and almost all scholars are going to agree that a week is seven days, so it represents seven years. Mm-hmm. So Doesn't it just say seventy? Sevens. I was going to say it says yeah. seventy-sevens, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on your translation, right? Seventy weeks or seventy-sevens, mm-hmm. or seventy units of seven. That, that's right, uh, depending on your translation. So seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the whole, most holy place. Now, again, really confusing, but if we look at this, and again, it's 70 sevens or 70 units of seven or 70 weeks. So a week representing seven years, that's 490 years. So guess what, mm-hmm. Daniel? The answer to his question was, uh, is that good enough, Lord? Uh, are we done? The 70 years are almost over. I repented. We're good, right? And the answer is, ah, actually, I'm going to increase it sevenfold. Just like Le- Leviticus said, if you don't repent and don't do the things I asked you to do, I'm going to punish you seven times more. So the 70 weeks is, uh, I'm going to give you seven times more punishment, which is 490 years. Now, the 490 years, we're told, is going to be to do all these things, to finish transgression, put an end to sin, make an atonement for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. Now, we might look at that and go, well, some of those things look like they're already done. Mm. I mean finishing transgression and taking away sin. What when we mm-hmm. say that like that's Jesus. Yep. And so we look at some of this and go, it's already done, but we look at other parts of it and go, well, bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, that kind of hasn't happened yet. You know, seal up vision and prophecy. Well, that doesn't seem like it's happened completely. Uh, there's still prophets around, you know, and what do we, what do we do with this? So it looks like some parts of the 77 or the 490 years, have already been fulfilled in the New Testament, and some parts are awaiting to be fulfilled. Mm. Okay, so that, that's the first part. Now it's where it gets really complex. Here you go. So verse 25 of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 out of the 70. No, real quick. You had just yeah. said the Messiah. My, my, now my translation says the anointed one, which obviously it's okay, the same word in, it's going to be back to Hebrew at this point. So um, Messiah is Hebrew, anointed one's English. So they just, tra- your translation translated the word. My translation didn't translate the word. Exactly. But yeah. how would this maybe uh, the translational choice affect how we tra- how we interpret things theologically? Because if I see Messiah, I'm automatically going to connect that with Jesus. That the prince there'll be seven set weeks or seven sevens and 62 sevens mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. 483 years. If you want mm-hmm. to literalize it until the Messiah comes, mm-hmm. right? that part's pretty clear. Cause look at verse 26 after the 62 weeks. So there's seven weeks and 62 weeks. After, I don't know it's this at, at the end of the 69 weeks, the Messiah or the anointed one will be cut off. Okay. That's, Christ. It's interesting too. Do you have that in the definite article? Because I have an indefinite article. It says an anointed one in both instances. Well, so my translation does. Yes, I can actually. It, it has yes. a definite article. It has, it has a definite article. It's the the Messiah. Interesting. Um, okay, so this is so in I'm verse twenty six. It does both. Not in verse twenty five. Yeah, both both twenty five and twenty six are uh, indefinite article online. I don't think most dispensationalists are going to be. This is Jesus here. What they're going to do is they're going to say. The next time it comes, oh, it's, 
the question is, is who is the he in verse 27? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm skipping ahead for, for your yeah, sake right yeah. now, Vinny. The question is going to be, who is the, the he in verse 27? So I'm going to, let me see if I can kind of be clear. The Messiah, the anointed one is Jesus. And I think almost everybody's going to agree with us on that. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, even, even going further, I mean, we don't got to go totally deep yeah. in this. I know we need to wrap up, but he, okay. this anointed one in verse 26 shall be cut off in Hebrew, mm-hmm. cut off karat. This is going to be the, uh, the same covenant. term. But yeah, this this covenant, this is what uh, God made yeah. with Abraham when he cut a covenant with Abraham. So it's like, how is this not Jesus? How you I don't I don't understand how you could see anything other than the Messiah here. But that's exactly correct. And and of course, has when you cut a covenant, it's always made with blood. Yes, yeah. And that's why Jesus gives communion and says, This is the blood of the covenant. It's a, it's mm-hmm. this new covenant. So it's it's the cutting or establishing of a new covenant. Yeah. In verse 26. So let me see, make sure everyone's following us okay. At the end of 69 weeks or 483 years, if you want to literalize it, the Messiah will be cut off. And the word cut off is the word used for making a new covenant or the establishing of a covenant. And a covenant is always cut with blood. That's why you, you cut an animal. So Jesus is that animal or that, that, that lamb that was slain. It's referring to then the, the cross. So now what, what we have then in verse 26 is this covenantal language. The Hebrew word is karat. He's cutting or establishing a covenant. Jesus indicates that that's what happened uh, at the Last Supper, and obviously the cross is the establishing of the of this covenant. What the dispensationalist is going to argue then? Let's continue in verse twenty-seven. It says the in verse twenty-six, the prince, the people of the prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's Rome destroying the city of Jerusalem, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be a war, and desolations are determined. Verse 27, this is the key verse now. He will make firm covenant with many for one week. Now, the question is, is who is the he? Mm-hmm. You have two persons in the previous verse. One is the Messiah who will be cut off. The second is the people of the prince who is to come. Mm-hmm. And the idea, the argument of the dispensationalists is that the he is actually the Antichrist or some, mm-hmm. some Roman figure that comes in. And it says, verse 27, he'll confirm a covenant for one week. And in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to the sacrifices and grain offerings. So the dispensationalists say this is a future week, seven years. That's where they get the seven years. We have seven years left in the dispensational understanding. And the he is this antichrist figure who in the middle of that seven years stops the sacrifices, which means the temple has to be rebuilt. The sacrificial system has to be, has to be going again, which is, I think, almost a little bit blasphemous because... Jesus was sacrificed once and for all in the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And then he establishes this uh, abominations that makes desolation at the end of verse 27 until the complete destruction is poured out on the one who makes, uh, who makes desolate. The Hebrew, however, doesn't support that understanding because it says he'll make a firm covenant in verse 27. The word used in verse 27 for making a a firm covenant is actually, is not the word karat to cut Mm -mm. a covenant or to establish a covenant. It's the verb higbir, which means Mm -hmm. to confirm a covenant that's already in place. Yep. So the idea that the Antichrist is the, is the he in verse 27 who comes and makes a new covenant doesn't fit with the Hebrew. The Hebrew is not re- establishing a new covenant. It's confirming a previous covenant. And the he in verse 27 then will be Christ. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. In other words, you have this 69 weeks until the Messiah comes. And then, then there'll be one week left over, one seven left over. In the middle of that seven, Christ will put a stop to the sacrifices and grain offering. There you go. And then you have three and a half years left. And that's the three and a half years that the book of Revelation then picks up on. And that's the time of persecution and, and tribulation and suffering for God's people because Christ has, has come. Now, one last thought, and that's this. What's intriguing here is that the gospel of John seems to go to great lengths to establish that Jesus's ministry was three and a half years long. Hmm. You, you don't know how long Jesus's ministry was from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the synoptics, yeah. But, but John's gospel seems to indicate, it's not certain, that there were four Passovers, which means Jesus was crucified on the fourth one, which means he ministered for somewhere more than three years, which would be three and a half years. And that idea that would fit well with three and a half is the period of time during which God's people suffer, Christ suffered for three and a half years, was crucified, risen again, and now we have three and a half years left. That three and a half years left begins then with the resurrection of Jesus and ends with the, the second coming. So I hope that was clear. I don't, I'm not certain that it was. It was. What do you think? 
Well, I, I think the, the most important thing, because there's a lot of details in here, there's a lot of background, mm -hmm. there's a lot of cryptic language. And so we got to figure it out. But I would say when you're going to read Daniel chapter nine, the best way to approach it is to say it's a covenantal work in terms of Daniel appeasing, appealing to Yahweh, the God of Israel, appealing to Torah, saying, I'm repenting on behalf of the people, which is, I mean, that's a Jesus thing as well, right? Why was Jesus baptized? Yeah. He was repenting on behalf of the people. Daniel's was not good enough, but Daniel in this, as he receives this vision from what we call a man, but it's an angel, uh, yeah. Gabriel, it's saying, no, let me tell let me show you a picture of Jesus. And so don't try to, don't try to read those three verses at the end of Daniel right. chapter nine, trying to decode what kind of leader this might be or, or what kind of scheme right. is planning. No, this is just simply telling us about Jesus. And yeah, right. there's, there's still some more hidden language in there, but just read the whole thing in light of Jesus. It's covenantal. This is what God did. It's like you said, it's, it's, it's Hebrews. It's Jesus ending sacrifices because he was the one who was able to do this thing. And, and that's what we need. Just read Daniel nine in light of Jesus. Don't try to figure everything. It's still going to be confusing, but just know, right. okay, it's talking about Jesus. And I think that's yeah. just a, an easier way to, to start it off rather than trying to figure out all the, the moving pieces. Right. Yeah. So the, and the answer is because God's faithful to his covenant promises. Exactly. So exactly. he's going to restore his people. He's going to come and confirm a covenant. But in the middle of that week, he will put a stop to sacrifices. That's the cross. And it says, and then on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate. Yes. That would be the little horn of the yes. book of Daniel. And we're going to discuss that when we get to chapter 13, yeah. the little horn of chapter seven and chapter eight, which you can apply to some future antichrist person if you want. But, but Daniel, Daniel has something, it. he has someone very yeah. specific in mind. He, he does have something mm -hmm. very specific in mind. Yeah. But I think Daniel can also be understood, and I think Revelation understands it this way as mm -hmm. applying to not just one individual, but all empires yeah. and emperors in history that persecute God's people. So if you want to argue that the, the one who will confirm a covenant is the beast of Revelation 13 or the little horn of Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, that's correct. But we're going to find out that this beast in Revelation 13 applies to all empires in history. So point them being, let's see if we have it clear, that Christ comes at the end of the 69 weeks. In the middle of that last week, he's crucified, puts an end to the sacrifices and, and offerings. There's three and a half weeks left, which are three and a half years left. That refers to the entire era of the New Testament from the time of Christ, because that's when it started, until the second coming of Christ. In that era, the little horn that we haven't discussed yet, which we will get into a little bit more uh, in the next couple episodes, the little horn the, or the beast of Revelation 13 makes war against God's people and opposes them until the end of the three and a half years. And that's when Christ comes and brings victory for God's people. Therefore, the three and a half years is the time which God's people suffer. We're at war with the beast. It's, it fits the whole context of what we said Revelation 12 was all about. Yep. Yep. Very good. That was hey, easy. That, that was that easy. Was super Daniel 9 is such an easy chapter. <laughs> it's going to be a hard one. Right. Exactly. Cool. So uh, are we finished with Revelation 12? Yeah, yeah I think so. Let's go look at the beast of chapter 13 now. And again, our goal actually is to kind of go a little bit more quickly through the rest of the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. because I, what I really wanted to do was focus on that story of how the story works with the nations doing the things that they do and what mm -hmm. power does and the destruction that brings, but, but God bringing redemption to his people. And that's us being faithful. But I think these three chapters are really central because they talk about, when I say three chapters, I mean 12, 11, 13, 11. and 14. Oh, okay. Yeah, 12, 13, and 14. They're, they're central because they highlight, oh, the opposition that we're going to face mm -hmm. when we go about doing the mission that God's called us to do. And then 17 and 18 will also be important because that'll be kind of an, an, an addition. Oh, there's this great harlot also. But we're going to try to highlight the rest of the book, but we're going to focus on this opposition to the work of God's people and the work of God's church and the work of God's mission through the beast and the dragon and all that good stuff. So, yep. Okay. So, so next week, chapter 13, we'll get in. Probably won't finish the whole chapter. In, uh, no, we'll probably take three or four weeks to do the whole chapter. And we'll, we'll get into Daniel again uh, in our look at Daniel 13, the beginning of uh, the first 10 verses. Yeah, very good. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you you had a great Christmas a couple of weeks ago. Uh, definitely not happening now, but <laughs> uh, hope you're enjoying this. There's nothing like ringing the new year, like the beast of uh, Revelation 13. As we sit in the, the excess of all our crap that we just binged on, 
that we got at Christmas that some yeah. poor little kid in China probably got paid no money to make allow us to. Uh, wow. <laughs> right. That's not convicting as well. Debbie right? Downer right there. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. But hey, let, let, yeah. let's 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 let us meditate on the beast. Let's of call a spade Re- a spade. Yeah. Re- Revelation 13 and how we uh, are engaged as we are utilizing the technology. We're on Apple computers yeah, right now, sure. which, you know, was made in some sweatshop. Uh, we yeah. are utilizing the same technology by the beasts of Revelation 13. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're joking, but it's not funny. It's, it, it, and, no, it's and, so and true. It, it really is really true. And sometimes yeah. we need to, hey, wait a minute. And and it goes back to the point of have we given in to the beast? Have we been deceived by the beast or not? So yeah, yeah, yeah very good. So All right, that's cool. next time. All right, Rob. See you next okay. week. Uh, see care. everyone else later. Catch you guys later. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.